Good morning, everybody. It is great to be here to worship together. I want to say a special thank you to everyone who participates in the worship service, whether it's in your seat or coming up front, uh, whatever you do, because our worship together with our whole hearts is what makes this service anything, and it's what makes it pleasing to God. And it's hard to really believe that that's true, but it is the truth. We came to worship the creator of the universe today, and I think we can say that he's been happy with this. Today we're going to study a little bit about what he has asked of us. From James chapter 2, we're going to be going through the first half of the chapter, and so if you'll go with me there now, we'll read this first half, and then we'll go back through and break down what it is asking of us. James chapter 2 says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one with the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And say to the poor man, you stand there, sit at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble at one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak, and so do, as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So he starts off by telling us kind of the, the thesis of everything we're going to talk about this morning in the first verse, he says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. And that's what we're going to talk about, this idea of partiality. And what he said first, to not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, is going to be important. We're going to get into that in a little bit. Partiality. What is partiality? It can be defined as showing personal favoritism. It's someone who is a respecter of persons. Someone, this kind of puts it concisely and completely, someone who pays attention to the outward circumstances of man rather than their intrinsic merits. So it's a shallow evaluation of people and treating people a certain way with that mentality. It's a disposition. Now before we get into this, when I first kind of started studying this, I was, a, I was asked to study, put a study together on this uh, a little while back. And when I first read it, I didn't really think it applied to me. Yeah, don't, don't show partiality, don't... Uh, don't be a respecter of persons. I get that. You know, don't judge a book by its cover. I, I got that. We're always told that. And it wasn't until I studied into it that I started to look at some of the roots of it. Some of the, the reasons we show partiality. Some of the ways we do that we might not even realize. And I saw that I'm more guilty of it than I thought. And so what I'm going to say in this slide is kind of a side note. But just to remember that when God tells us something, we, not, we might not be able to see the fruits in our life of what he's told us not to do. But there can be roots inside of us growing toward that sin. We cannot be manifesting it outwardly yet. We cannot have, be, 
We cannot be a person who people look at and say, wow, he is this way. It's not an outward fruit yet. But these things can be growing within, underneath the surface, inside of us. They can be roots of it, of a sin. And I think that's what Hebrews 12 gets at when it says, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. So that we can have a root of something bad inside of ourselves that eventually it comes out. And like Esau here, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. So here's an example. You have Esau, who was a fornicator at heart. He was a profane person, and he just didn't really look to the future. He had a heart that didn't look beyond the moment, and that eventually came out as he sold his birthright. He got rid of his future. And so all this is an example is to show that we need to be careful of roots, even if you can't see it on the outside yet. And so with partiality, as we get into this, I want us to think about that idea that to examine the roots in our heart, what's in our heart, uh, even if we might not think we're partial to certain people. So in verse 2, he goes on to say, he gives us an example of this. He says, For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, You stand there. Or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So the example he gives is if some rich guy walks in and everyone coddles him. Everyone sees this guy and wants to talk to him, wants to pay attention to him. But then the poor guy comes in, the regular old Joe, and they don't really care. They just, yes, yeah, sit here or whatever. It's can, it can be easy to look at them and say, yeah, you know, that's awful. I wouldn't do that. But that, those gold rings... Most of the married people in here have gold rings on their hand. It's common for us to. It's not uncommon to see a gold ring. But what are some other ways we can do this? What if, uh, what if someone famous walked in here? We've got a lot of Dodger fans. What if uh, Justin Turner walked in here this morning? Or Cody Bellinger? Everyone would be so excited. Logically. I mean, I, I would too. I'm not even a Dodger fan. Everyone would be excited to see somebody famous. We're excited to see when someone important walks in the room. It, it brings, it makes us feel a little weird inside. We don't know what to do. What if someone famous, I don't know, Tom Cruise, walked in here? We'd be excited they came to worship with us, right? You might be too nervous to ask them to sit with you. But what if any old regular Joe walked in here? You might say hi to him. What if we showed just as much excitement to any regular old Joe that walked in here, any poor person that walked in here, as we would to someone like one of those famous people we just talked about. The issue with partiality is not necessarily being excited or happy or welcoming to the person who's good and who's rich or who's got the gold rings on his hand. It's when we treat the person next to him who walks in differently than him. We must treat the in-year-old Joe the way God sees them. Because God sees us all the same. We're just humans. And so what if we showed just as much excitement for the regular old Joe that walked in here as we would for someone who was rich and famous? What would that show them? Because how many people who are just normal hardly, go, hardly get noticed by anyone? There's a lot of people who hardly get any notice, hardly, hardly get any, uh, anyone talking to them, excited to see them. What if we showed them God's love 
and showed them that excitement that, for them to be here, that they're honored, we are honored to have them here, that we are excited to have them here. And this isn't really a group question. I want us to ask this on a personal level because this is something we can handle personally. What kind of excitement do I show the people around me to see them, to honor them? Why do we need to do this? Because they are a soul that needs saving. I think when we look at people on a soul level, it gets rid of a lot of the things that might blind us to what really matters. They are a soul that needs saving. God says that he rejoices. There's rejoicing in heaven when one sinner comes to repentance. That doesn't put any labels on wealth or status at all. That just shows us that the way God sees us, the way God is excited is whenever someone comes to him. Number two, because God can use them. Throughout the Bible, it is, it is a regular thing that God chooses the people who don't really matter. The people who don't really mean anything to the people around them. Gideon, if you remember him from the Old Testament, he ended up being a great hero. But God called him and he said, I'm of the least tribe of Israel and I'm one of the lowest families. You're picking me. I'm the nobody. And not only was he by history kind of a nobody, he was, he was kind of a coward. When God told him to do something, he was like, no, 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 I can't do that. That fits the bill for any of us in here, any regular old Joe we might see. They don't see them, themselves as much. Other people around them don't see, themselves, don't see them as much. But God sees a value in everyone. God sees an ability to work something within them that is great. Because he sees an even greater work. If there's someone who's already great, it doesn't take much to make them a little more great. But God can take somebody who doesn't appear to be much and can make them something great. First, they're a soul in saving. saving. Number two, God can use them. And three, think about the opportunity we have. Like we already said, to show them something that they don't see anywhere else. To get treated well like they don't get treated anywhere else and show them the way God sees them. And how do we do that? You know, it's difficult to, to think about treating someone like I would a famous person who's just normal. But that's where we ask God for help. We're going to get to a little bit more in a minute, but one of the things we can do is we can ask God for help in that. God, I don't really value the people around me like that. I don't see the person who walks in here that way. I don't even see the people around me in this building that way, maybe. God, please change my heart in that. And you can pray that, and we can develop a heart. I guess that question extends to what about not just the people who walk in here, what about the people in here right now? How do you see the person next to you? Do you treat them like they're somebody special? The people you talk to after and before services, is it because you're talking to the people that you're comfortable with, that you like to kind of stay connected with? Or are you thinking about everyone and trying to make everyone feel welcome and feel special and part of a family? On a personal level, let's think about this. <clears throat> now, this, this partiality has a root of selfishness, and it happens subconsciously. Because think about it. If you see someone rich and you treat them well, a lot of times there's an underlying reason. Like maybe if I treat this person well, they'll let me use the jet ski this weekend. Maybe they'll take me out with them to do this or that. Someone who's influential, you know, if, if I get in good with them, they'll get me tickets to the big game. They'll get me their courtside seats. Or someone who, uh, who is popular. Maybe it's at school. Someone who's famous. We want to be associated with them. We want people to see us with them and see us as someone who has a higher status. 
when we show partiality to people, it's almost always because we have a selfish, selfish interest. We want something out of it. But Philippians 2 verse 3 and 4 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That's a big statement, to let nothing be done through selfish ambition. We need to remember that when we're treating people a certain way. Why, why do I get excited to see one person and then someone else, I'm just kind of treat them weird. Treat them as, eh. Let nothing be done through selfishness. Did you notice what he said at the end of verse 4? He said, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You know, when I read that, I think, well, I, I wasn't trying to do anything. I wasn't trying to be a judge. But God tells us that we are becoming a judge with evil thoughts. It, he's, he's really trying to emphasize the result and what that labels us as when we don't realize what we're becoming when we do that. When we subconsciously treat people a certain way, we're becoming a judge in God's eyes with evil thoughts. He goes on to say in verse 5, Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? We're going to go back to that in a second. He says in verse 6, But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? He said, Don't show partiality. And we remember that it's, it's a selfishness a lot of times that causes that. Don't feel like you need to get something out of people because they're going to let you down. He says, don't the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? These people you're walking up to and coddling and treating like they're special, they're the ones who are treating you bad. So you, you look to them to try to treat them well, get something out of them, but really they're the ones who fail you. People are going to fail us. We have to look beyond the surface and what God sees in people to have a healthy way of handling people. Do we remember what he said in verse 1? He said, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. I think this is the crux of a lot of this. Is that we don't need to look to other people to provide for what we need. We need to look to our God, our Savior Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, for what we need. Because he says, he's the Lord of glory. If we want to be associated with someone who's glorious, who's powerful, we want their glory. He's like, I, I'm the Lord of glory. Why are you going to look to people to get that out of, out of them? Why do you want something from them? You have access to the infinite glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, trust him for what you need. Ask me for what you need. God tells us that he provides richly for us to enjoy those things that he gives us. He's a father. He wants us to be happy. Just ask him and trust in him for what we need. So back to verse 5, I said I was going to go back to that. He said, listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? What That kind of puzzled me. I didn't understand why, why the poor are blessed. But he's, he's saying here that God has chosen to honor and give a special blessing to the poor. We can take that at face value, but I want to dig into that a little bit more. But just remember that when we dishonor that person in the way that he showed us, we're dishonoring someone who God has chosen to greatly honor. 
That's not our place to do. We have the unique ability to show them how God sees them when nobody else does. So, but why, why is this blessing pronounced on the poor? So for a little background, in Mark 10, we have the situation of the rich young ruler. He comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, what do I need to do to be saved? And he, Jesus tells him uh, the commandments to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, I've, I've done these things my whole life. And Jesus knows what's really the problem. He says, go and sell everything you have and come serve me. Jesus, in doing that, I don't think he really cared to have all of his stuff. Jesus was exposing the root of his heart, this, this young man's heart, as he loved his stuff more than God. And when he loved his stuff more than God, Jesus said, you can't. You can't serve me with your whole heart because your whole heart is with your money. And if you won't leave me for your money, that's clear what's important to you. He revealed the heart of the rich that often will say, this is more important to me than you, God. God, you're important. And he said he had served the God, God his whole life, and he had done all these things. How many of us can say that? We're doing a lot of these things. But there's one thing that he said that was going to keep him from his salvation, is he had a root in his heart that God saw as a big issue. So the rich often have a root in their heart that will not Permit them to get close enough to, be, to God. Okay, that's part of the picture. In Matthew 5, we read as Jesus tells us in his kind of inaugural speech, as he sets up the church, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He shows us that those who have a need and a deep longing for something better, he says, he pronounces a blessing. Blessed are them because they're going to be children of God. They're going to be heirs of righteousness. They're going to be the heirs. And what that means is God sees these people who, who look for something more in life, who see their poverty and life and, and money and spirit, and they hunger for something more. The, the, the poor he's saying, I think that's a big connection to what he said in James, is the poor are, have a special blessing from God because these poor people turn for more. They see that life can't provide what they really need. The poor have a blessing because they will turn and look. In Matthew 22, we have the parable of the wedding feast, where the master invited all these people, and, and he told them to, to come and get ready, and they all said, oh, I've got this going, I've got that going, this is more important to me. And so none of them came, and the master of the house is mad. He's like, fine, let anybody come then. If the people who have it all good, and the people who have everything don't want me, Take it to the people in the streets. Take it to the people on the highways. Just give it to anybody that will take it. And that's, that's the poor. If you go to people who are poor and you, a lot of these African countries, these places that, are, that have hardly anything, they want something better. They want something because they see that this life isn't, isn't what they need. They need a God that's going to provide a salvation for them. That's what they need. And so with this kind of backdrop, we see that the poor are often the ones who turn to God. And with that spirit of turning to God, they receive a special blessing. But also, just for face value, think about God as the perfect father. He cares about each one of us and each one of the people who are on the streets, each one of the people who are out there poor. If you were a father and your child was on the street, you'd want them to have it better, right? 
And so it only makes sense that God would say, I've chosen to richly bless them because I want to see them finally have that. I want to see those people who are poor, who don't get any honor, who don't get any glory, who don't get any recognition. I've chosen to greatly honor them. How, much, how satisfying that must be for God, especially in, in heaven, to think about finally giving those people something they never got here. Our God is the perfect Father. In Proverbs 30, verse 7, David says this. It says, two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die. He's asking for two things before he dies. One of them is remove falsehood and lies far from me. Number two, give me neither poverty nor riches. Did he just say that? He doesn't want to be rich. He said, feed me with the food allotted to me. Give me enough, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So his prayer is that God doesn't put him in a situation to where he has so much that he's like, God, I don't really need you. How many people like like that are in America? How many of us are like that? We get it going right and we're just, we kind of forget about God. When we don't have the need for him, we just kind of go our separate ways. And David saw that. That's a spirit inside of us that we have to remember that happens. And he also said, or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. We can, you know, if we get to a poor place, it's, it's not like only the rich have problems. The poor can get to a place where they steal and they feel like they have to make it on their own. They have to take on their own. There's, the poor have to watch out for this too. But I think he exposes a, a, a big issue in this is to remember that when we get full and when we get rich, like Americans are across the board, that we don't deny God. <clears throat> so that was kind of all the explanation of that, the rich, why the poor have a blessing, a special blessing. But so for the partiality concept, partiality is what we've already said. It is not making wise distinctions. We have that authority and that instruction to make wise distinctions among people. 1 Peter 2 tells us that we're to respect and give a special kind of honor to our governing authorities. 1 Timothy 5 tells us that people have different roles in our lives, whether it's older folks or our parents or whether it's our children. We all have different roles to handle within that, and, and, and that's important. And we're told to treat false prophets and false teachers differently, according to Matthew 7. So... You treat people the way God wants us to treat them. <clears throat> it's not that we treat everyone exactly the same, but we need to remember that the, the shallow evaluations of people are not okay. Verse 8 goes on to say, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbors yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So he's, he's really hammering down on how important this is. You know, the law is full of big commandments like don't commit adultery, don't murder. But he's saying you're convicted of that law, too, if you show partiality. And one of those ways, I think, you know, that applies to this is racism. Racism is such a shallow evaluation of somebody. And we cannot treat people good or bad based on race. That's, that's such an, an, an irrelevant evaluation of someone and a way to treat them. But we also need to be careful about partiality towards sin. This isn't the direct context of what James is saying. But I think it is, it is a, a point that can be made right here. Is that the Pharisees, for example, were guilty of straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. They neglected the weightier matters of the law. They saw one sin and said, you know, that's bad. But, you know, their sin 
you know, they just kind of swept it under the rug. They, they treated sin differently, like this is okay and this is not. But we need to remember that all sin is sin, and we need to treat it that way. Verse 11, for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you're still a transgressor of the law. Law is law, and if you break, if you break any component of the law, it's all the same thing. It's the law, you broke it. The punishment, there is punishment for breaking the law. And I want to hit on a hot topic of homosexuality. This is a big one that receives a lot of hammering. I had a friend in college who was starting to come to church, and he was starting to really come around, and he was really excited about it all. But he had his struggles, obviously, as, as people do whenever they, from wherever place in life they come to the church. And one of his big issues was he, he had been raised with a grandpa that, they just beat down on homosexuals. And he talked about them like they were dirt, like they were nothing. And he would say filthy language about them. And my friend, that was his struggle. That's what he couldn't get past is, is, is his same-sex attraction. And his grandpa growing up showed him a picture of Christianity that was sick and rude and angry and unforgiving and it just totally turned him off. And so it was really hard for him to get past that. Now, I'm not saying that, that his grandpa was wrong in opposing sin. But the, we can oppose sin in the right way. And we have to treat sin as sin by hating the sin but loving the people. And we cannot treat a group of people like they're nothing. Because that's a struggle people have. What kind of support does it show them? You know, that I have, I have a Christian family backing me up to get through this struggle. If we, if we treat it like that, it doesn't. I was at a big meeting, and I heard a preacher address people that struggle with homosexuality as Fruit Loops. And I know there were people there in that building who were working on that and who were winning the fight with it. But to call them Fruit Loops, it's almost like my, your struggle isn't even relevant. Your struggle isn't valid. You just, you just you're, you're a weirdo. How does that make people feel who want to get past that, who are trying to get through that? Like, I have a family and a support system that I'm going to make it through no matter how hard this gets. No. It makes them feel like they're on their own. It makes them feel like they're not welcome here if they want to change. I'm just a weirdo. That's not the reality we have. We have to remember that, yes, we oppose sin, and yes, we don't change God's law, but we treat sin as sin. And we treat it all with a love and a respect that we're ready to help them be saved. In Proverbs 6, verse 16 through 19, you know, there's some people say, well, yeah, that's, well, but homosexuality is abomination. Yes, that's true. But Proverbs here also says, these six things the Lord hates, yet seven are an abomination to him. A proud look. When do you see a proud look? I've seen a proud look when people talk about homosexuality is worse than their sin. Oh, I'm not going to do that. That's sick. And they have a proud look that my sin's not as bad as yours. That's an abomination to God. What about this? Hands that shed innocent blood, a lying tongue. What about liars? That's an abomination to God. <clears throat> a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to run into evil. What about the spirit that, that sees something bad happening, something they know they shouldn't be doing happening, and they're, they're always the person to kind of go towards it and see what's going on. 
They're curious always about the evil. God said that's an abomination to him too. The one who sows discord among brethren. Do we have a divisive spirit? Yes, all these things are an abomination to God. And yes, they're all wrong. Yes, homosexuality is wrong, but we have to make sure that we treat it as as what it is. It's, It's sin. And people struggle with it. They need help getting out of it. And we are here to support them as they get through it. It is easy to single out struggles that we do not understand and to treat it differently. But we can't be guilty of doing that. He goes on to say in verse 12, So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty, the law of freedom. Verse 13, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If we don't show mercy to other people, what makes us think we're going to get any from God? We have to be merciful to everyone around us. And our goal is to save the lost. Luke 5, verse 31, 32, Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's Jesus' attitude towards sin. And you and I are just messengers for a doctor. We're not the judge. We're not the one with a this, with this stick in our hand to beat it out of people. We are messengers for a doctor to take them to Jesus and show them, hey, I have sinned too. I've messed up a lot. I've messed up today. But I have a doctor who's helped me, who is continually cleansing me, that can help you too. So in conclusion, we are to treat everyone well in an effort to show them the love God has for them. And we are to make a special effort to treat the poor or the neglected well with a mentality that God is going to give me what I need. I don't need to treat other people a certain way just to get something out of them. I'm going to trust in God. And right before our chapter, James 1 verse 27 kind of gives us a practical application if you want to take something home. It says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. You don't look at people who have it worse than you and look down on them. You go visit them. We go spend time with them. Develop relationships with them. And we are to treat all sin as sin. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.